Over the course of our Advent devotions, we'll take a look at this question, what are you waiting for? And tonight, Mark, by reporting to us John the Baptist's message, reminds us that someone special is coming, and the one who is coming is worth waiting for. That's Henry. It's the Billets family dog. He weighs about 15 pounds, and maybe two or so of it is all of the fluffy fur that he has. And if you have pets at home, you know that they, they tend to be a little bit temperamental. They have their own personalities. There are certain things that, that get them super excited, and there are other things that, uh, you know, they don't care about at all. One of the things that Henry loves is waiting for people to come home. He sits, he's kind of on it, you can't tell there, but he sits on the top of our couch looking out the windows, just waiting to see if a car is going to pull into the driveway or if he can hear the garage door opening and then he jumps down and runs around in circles, all excited because someone is coming. Here's the amazing thing. I only have to say these words, who's coming? To get him all fired up and riled up and let him run around the house. What do they call those? The zoomies or something like that? Every time. Every time. And I think about that and I think if, if a dog can get so excited about human beings that are coming home, then shouldn't we wait in eager expectation for something even greater? For Jesus to come again? To celebrate again this Christmas his first coming and then to long for his coming at the last day. Mark's gospel helps us with that today as we take a look at the very first verses of that gospel and get introduced in Mark's gospel to John the Baptist. He reminds us that one is coming. And as we think about the one who's coming, let's first of all get ready for him as we see John the Baptist's words. But then secondly, we can marvel again at the power of our Savior Jesus. Let's read Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. You, is it too dark for you to read it with me? Let's read the first three verses together. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. I don't know if you've noticed as you've read through the Gospels, but they all have a little different purpose. They're written for a different audience, and so they tell the story of Jesus in just a slightly different way. Mark's Gospel was primarily written for Christians who lived in and around Rome, and so it was written for Gentile Christians who didn't have the same depth of knowledge of the Old Testament that maybe the Hebrew people did, the Israelites and so Mark's gospel is introducing people to what I like to call the superhero Jesus. Lots of miracles are pointed to as, as they see Jesus as this savior of all people. And so the first verses of Mark's gospel really are the laying out of Jesus' credentials for all of his readers to see that Jesus is somebody that's worthy of being followed. I suppose you have done plenty of this. I don't know if we call them credentials anymore, but how many times have you had to ask for letters of recommendation, right? Maybe for a scholarship, maybe for an internship or a job. You, you have to have people vouch for you, and that's what Mark's doing in those first verses. And it starts with the names of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I know I catch myself doing this from time to time, sort of reading past the names of Jesus without really thinking of what each one means. 
They all have special significance, don't they? And so as Mark's gospel begins, he first calls the Son of God, Jesus. And do you remember what that word means? The angel said this to Joseph, You shall give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what the name Jesus means, Savior. And then Mark calls him Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. Messiah was the Hebrew word that is Christ in the original Greek. And that word, if you remember all the way back to your confirmation or catechism days, means the anointed one. Back in the Old Testament days, it was prophets, it was priests, it was kings that had oil poured on their heads to anoint them for a special office. And that's what Jesus came to this world to be, our prophet, priest, and king. And then to leave no doubt, Mark simply calls him the Son of God. Those are the credentials just in the names of Jesus. And then Mark quotes from the Old Testament, the only time in his entire gospel that he quotes an Old Testament passage to demonstrate how Jesus and really John the Baptist were the fulfillment. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Mark is letting us know that there was going to be a forerunner to Jesus, somebody who spoke about the next coming of the Messiah, the first coming of the Messiah. And as he did, his message was going to be one of being prepared. Get ready, this messenger was going to say. All right, I'm not sure. Didn't do too well in the first service. How many of you have one of these Roombas at your homes? Your parents have them? Anybody? We have a few. Okay, first service, I think people didn't know what I was talking about. I don't have one either, but I would really like one. It's kind of nice just to, you know, the technology that you can just wind something up and let it vacuum your floor for you. And I especially would have loved one when my children were young. I must not have done much vacuuming around the house. Because inevitably, and this is a bit embarrassing, but inevitably when I pulled out the vacuum cleaner and plugged it in and started moving it back and forth, one of my children would say to me, who's coming today? <laughs> but that's what we do, right? When people are coming, we clean up the house, we make sure it's ready to go, the preparations are made. I'm guessing for students that are, are looking forward to going home for Christmas, you're hoping that maybe the pantry will be filled with some of your favorite foods, the refrigerator will be stocked with the things that you love to eat. We make preparations when people are coming. Well, that's what John is encouraging us to do. Jesus is coming, and he wants us to prepare, to clean. Only it's not a physical cleaning that John's talking about, but a spiritual one, a cleaning of our hearts. Listen to how Mark reports it. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the peoples of Jerusalem went out to meet him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. The fulfillment of that prophecy from Isaiah, the voice of one calling, that was John the Baptist. And what John came to do was point people to Jesus, but he had to prepare them for Jesus' coming first. And so he preached a message of repentance. I know sometimes when we use those, those Bible words, we can't always remember exactly what they mean, but, but maybe you remember the word repentance. In the original Greek, it simply means to change your mind, to change the mind. And so it has this idea of walking in one direction and turning around completely. See, that's what John is preaching. He's preaching a new mindset. He wants people to think differently. When it comes to 
their sin, he wants them to recognize that everyone has fallen far short of the glory of God. That's the first part of repentance. It's a recognition that we don't measure up to God's demands. And I think about that picture of cleaning and how in our hearts we have those secret sins, the sins that we know about but that we cover up pretty easily, that, that nobody else really knows about, that kind of hide in the corners of our heart. Those are the ones John wants us to, to say, I need Jesus. I need someone to take away that sin. And that's the second part of repentance. It's turning to Jesus. It's recognizing that it's God who sent his only son to take our place. And I think about that when I think about what the people who heard John the Baptist, what they must have thought. Because that person was, was still coming. But look at the advantage that you and I have today, 2,000 years later. We get to worship a Jesus who already finished his saving work. A Jesus who already came, who lived the life we could not, who, who died the death that should have been ours. That's the Jesus that came to save you and to save me. And I think that's all the more reason for us to prepare our hearts for his coming again. As I thought about that today, I, I thought about John the Baptist and, and Mark in his gospel in chapter 1, he, he talks a little bit about John the Baptist's dress and, and the food that he ate. He says that he dressed in, in camel's hair and, and a leather belt and he ate locusts with wild honey. That might have been part of the reason that people flocked out to the Jordan River to see John the Baptist because he was this anomaly, something that they had never seen before. But his message was powerful. Because people confessed their sins. They were baptized in the Jordan River. But here's the most amazing part. John always knew his purpose. He knew that it wasn't for him to gather followers, but to point people to Jesus. Then think about how opposite that is from our me-first world. Today, people want as many likes on whatever they post as they can possibly get. They want as many followers to be part of their social media as possible. We live in a treat-yourself kind of world, right? It's about me first and other people second. And that, what, that's what makes John so amazing. Because he deflected the attention. He pointed to Jesus. He wanted people to see what Jesus was coming to do. And it's John's selfless act of deflecting to Jesus that led people to see the ultimate selflessness that Jesus would bring when he came to this life. Mark describes it this way. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John leaves no doubt about who is coming as he redirects people to Jesus. He says, this is someone more powerful than I. And then, and then he qualifies that for us. It's not just that Jesus is more powerful. It's that Jesus is someone who's so great that even John the Baptist was unworthy. Unworthy to bend down and untie the straps of his sandals. And maybe we could ask, why? What made John so different than Jesus, or maybe the other way around, Jesus so different than John. Did you hear John answer the question for us? I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
You know what John is saying, right? He's pointing people to Jesus as the Savior and that baptism by the Holy Spirit is the gift that God has brought you through his spirit of faith. Faith to believe in Jesus as Savior. Faith that turns us in repentance to him to say, you are my hope and my joy and my peace. (laughs) Think about how Jesus displayed his power throughout his ministry in the miracles of healing, in his miracles of turning water into wine and stilling storms and feeding 5,000 and walking on water. That's Jesus' power on display for you and for me. But it didn't stop there, did it? Jesus was willing to take on our enemies, sin, death, and the devil, and they all went down in defeat when Jesus yelled from the cross, it is finished. Your sins and mine are, are paid in full. And Jesus guarantees it when he leaves his tomb on Easter Sunday morning. Yes, all of our enemies are defeated and our place in heaven is secure, but it's not just for the life to come that Jesus' power is for you and for me. That power is at work in you and that power is at work for you as you live your lives right now. It's been so long, I can't really remember what it's like to go through an exam week anymore. But I know the stress, at least, that that brings. I know the worry that comes with testing and and just all of the busyness of that last week. But the power of your God is with you. He knows every little thing that's happening in your life. He knows where you're at in your life. He knows what you need. He knows the troubles that bother you. And that power will continue to sustain you all the way to the eternity that he's won. See, that same Jesus is coming again in power. He's coming in power at the last day to give you the life that he's won for you forever in heaven. A couple takeaways from our sermon, our devotion today. Number one, we get ready for Jesus coming with hearts that are repentant. Paul wrote this in his second letter to the Corinthians. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. It's through spirit-worked faith that we hold on to Jesus and know that we have forgiveness of sins in him. And then number two, we trust the power of Jesus. The one who defeated sin for us is coming back to lead us to heaven. To the Philippians, Paul wrote this, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. By the power that enables him to put everything under his control, he will transform our lowly lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. It's coming. Bus rapid transit is coming to Madison. Have you noticed the construction on University Avenue or maybe you've been on East Washington, right? Lots of preparations and and hopefully it will be all worth it, right? Months of planning, months of execution, lots of traffic snarls and problems. But hopefully when it opens next year, it will make a smooth trip from the east side of Madison through downtown all the way to the west side with very limited stops. At least that's the goal. Will it be worth all the effort? I guess that remains to be seen. But when we prepare our hearts and our lives for Jesus' coming, when we recognize our sin and turn to Jesus for the forgiveness and life that we need, that preparation is more than worth it. Because it's our Savior who's coming to take us to our home with him forever in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we know that we do not always have pure hearts and, and pure intentions in our lives, but we pray with David, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Thank you for the forgiveness that is ours in Jesus. Turn us around back to that Savior again and again where we see the hope that we have not only of your approval but of eternal life with you in heaven. We pray that you bless the students in the next weeks as they face the, the pressures of final exams and, and getting ready to end a semester. We ask for your blessing and remind them that you are constantly with them and that you know exactly where they're at in their lives. Give them the peace and joy of knowing that the Savior who came at Christmas is coming again to take us to be with you in the perfect joy of heaven forever. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.